Hello, and welcome back to From My Mom's Basement. I'm your host, David Chamberlain, and this is episode 24 of the podcast, titled Somewhere for Some Time. Thank you all for listening. He reaches for the radio knob and then hesitates. He likes this song. Maybe he'll listen a little longer. The car's windshield is crowded by tree limbs and leaves. It's impossible to see through. The rear window shows mostly the same thing, trees and tall grass. It took him an hour to find this place. For his purposes, it's perfect. Out here, 10 or 15 miles from the main road, he has some privacy. The song on the radio comes to a sad diminuendo and disappears. He takes a deep breath and flips the knob. Silence rolls in. Real, rural silence. There are birds in the trees somewhere, tweeting. This makes him sad. He fumbles with the door lock, struggling to pull the cylinder out of its little hole, finally yanks it free, and swings his door open. Cool air rushes in. It's some of that crisp, mountainous stuff that tickles your throat. Dry underbrush stands up taller than the car's floor and pokes inside the door's threshold. Wind cries through the trees. He tries to step out of the car, but is restrained by something and is forced back into his seat. Confused, he looks around and realizes that, in his excitement, he forgot to unbuckle his seatbelt. He laughs angrily, unclicks the buckle, and steps out of the car, his feet crunching against the dry foliage. Above him, the sky is clear, no meteorological activity to speak of, but there is an airplane, crawling through the sky some six miles above the ground, spinning a white thread across the blue void. He watches the plane, which is nothing more than a grayish speck, and then moves to his trunk. He takes out a roll of duct tape and a short length of garden hose, tucks the hose under his armpit, and slams the trunk shut again. Some birds scatter from a nearby tree. This frightens him and makes him start. His hands tremble. He takes a deep breath and notices, for the first time, that he is crying. Kneeling down, he threads one end of the hose inside the car's exhaust pipe and then seals it tight with the duct tape, wrapping it around the mouth of the pipe until there is no opening but for the hose, which dangles from the exhaust like a long, rubbery tail. Then, snaking the hose around the side of the car, he squeezes the other end through a slim crack in the back right window. He's unrolled the window just far enough to give the hose some clearance, and once it's pushed through, he tapes over the crack making it airtight. It's ready. Before he gets back in the driver's seat, he takes a weird, sentimental stroll around the surrounding trees, attempting to appreciate God's green earth, the very same earth he is desperate to escape. Having never felt real gratitude a day in his life, this sentimental ritual is perverted and awkward. He stumbles around the underbrush like a lost child, unsure what to make of anything and everything. He doesn't know what is beautiful and what isn't. He's never bothered to figure out that kind of thing. He comes to a skinny pine tree and runs his eyes along its startlingly tall body. He pretends to like it. He acts as though he will miss it, along with the rest of nature. He meanders back to the driver's seat and slumps into the car. His crying reaches something of a climax here, though it's mostly acting. Even here, miles from the nearest person, he is playing a role the role of the victim, a victim who is suffering at the hands of himself. 
It's all some textbook display of pathological narcissism, or something akin to it. He has secluded himself, but feels anger towards his self-imposed seclusion. He wants people to see him, wants people to notice he is missing. He wants someone to talk to him, to care. But instead of calling someone up and starting a conversation, he's going to kill himself with his car's exhaust. That'll show him. This is what happens when you ignore important people. Yeah, this is what happens. Letting his anger boil all ugly and swirling into his chest, he slams the driver's door shut and starts his car. Things are normal at first. The engine shudders to life and the AC hums in an off-key harmony with the motor. But the AC needs to be off. No fresh air. He clicks off the AC and closes his eyes. Grimy and coarse and smelling like the color of charcoal, car exhaust starts to pour into the car. It's barely noticeable at first, like the smell of smoke coming from a nearby campfire, but within moments it becomes an unbearable cloud of toxins. Keeping his eyes closed, he starts to cough. In all his mock suicides, he hadn't imagined himself coughing. He imagined himself going out peacefully and still, like a sedated hospice patient. But now his eyes are watering and his throat is on fire. Even still, he keeps his eyes shut, letting the tears roll down his cheeks in long, glossy streaks. Each breath becomes more labored and less effective. His lungs are starting to have trouble scrubbing out all of that carbon monoxide. The ratio between oxygen and CO is falling fast, and he feels this heavy in his chest. Those primitive self-preservation impulses start to bubble up and take control of him. He feels himself reaching for the car door, but stops himself. He's already failed at so much. He's not going to fail at this. What a humiliation that would be. He holds himself still, sitting on his hands like an antsy child, and tries to take deep, wholesome breaths, filling his body with the noxious fumes. As the last remnants of breathable air are suppressed and pushed out of the car, he starts to feel that unique terror associated most closely with drowning, like those moments at the public pool when you were unsure if you'd make it to the surface in time, and the whole universe seemed to explode in your chest. Now desperation, real animalistic desperation, wakes up inside him. All he has to do is open the door or roll down the window. Mutiny begins in his mind. His executive functions start battling with the part of his brain that is older than bipedalism and glabrous skin. He should have tied himself down. Keeping his eyes closed, he starts to thrash and search for anything that will help him breathe. But he won't let himself unlock the door or turn the key or roll down the window. This is how far his disease has taken him. Even his most primitive functions can't fight off his illness. Images start zipping across his skull, all weird and demented. Old images of his childhood neighborhood and scenes of his aunts and uncles when they were young. Flashes of light, like purplish amoebas, pulse on the inside of his eyelids. Sound, all sound, starts to fade away to something beyond silence. He starts to hear the voices of his grandparents. His mom's voice seems to call to him, as if she's standing down a long corridor behind him. Shapes and faces and colors and memories all a mesh into one fluid circle of life and time. He sees everything all at once and then there's a knock on the driver's window. 
Being on the very verge of death, he can't be sure if it was a real knock or an auditory hallucination. So, for the first time since starting the car, he opens his eyes. His vision is completely tunneled and blurry, as if he's looking through scuba goggles at the bottom of the ocean. There's another knock. This one is louder, angrier. He turns to see who's there, if anyone. A man, bent over with his hands on his knees, is staring at him through the driver's window. He looks like a farmer type. He wears a flannel shirt tucked into his wranglers and has a lot of turquoise jewelry on his wrists and fingers. His face sags with age and has the same color and texture as an old leather duffel bag. A beige baseball cap, stained with sweat and salt, denotes his time spent in Vietnam. He knocks again and looks pissed. The man inside the car rolls down the window. Exhaust fumes leak out and the old farmer guy coughs into the palm of an arthritic hand. What the hell are you doing out here? The farmer guy asks, his voice high and nasally. The man in the car looks around as if he just happened upon the scene as well. I'm, I'm sorry, he says. This is private property, you know, the farmer guy says. You can't just pull your car off the road here. I get kids come out here do the same thing, except they're the randy type, you know, want to get frisky. Don't get a lot of guys come out here and want to kill themselves. That's what you're doing, right? Trying to kill yourself. Uh, well, I, I... Can you shut, shut the car off? That's, that's how you start forest fires, you know that? You parked your car right over some nice kindling, you see? This dry stuff will go up in a fireball if your car gets too hot. Turn it off. The man's mind is still fuzzy from the fumes, but he follows the old farmer's orders, reaches for the keys, and cuts the ignition. He looks back to the farmer with a kind of stoned, infantile stare. So, uh, why are you trying to kill yourself? Uh, I, um, uh, I... The man has forgotten how to speak. He's searching for words. His mind is basically a flat, matte gray void of nothingness. It'll take a moment for his asphyxiated brain to return to normalcy. How long were you in here before I showed up? The farmer guy asks. His eyes are intense and buggy, like the penetrating, erratic eyes of a rodent. You must have been pretty close to doing the deed, huh? Can hardly think straight, huh? Sheesh. How the hell did you find this place anyway? Must have been driving for some time. The man in the car nods slowly. His mind starts to clear. I, 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 I just got off on exit 23 back there. The man sticks his thumb out backwards, pointing behind him. So uh, what's, what's wrong with you? The farmer guy asks, digging up some chew with his tongue and spitting it on the ground in front of him. Why you want to off yourself? The man blinks rapidly and rubs his eyes with his knuckles. It looks as if he has just woken from a long nap. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't know this was private property. I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll be out of your hair. The farmer stares blankly, spits on the ground again. You know, I, I had a friend killed himself some years ago. She's probably thirty years. 30 years ago now, yep. Can't say I miss him, though. He was a real sorry guy, always complaining and whatnot, always talking about how sad he was, how nothing went his way. Yeah, probably for the best that he ended it. Best for everyone involved. 
He wrote a big long note that nobody bothered to read. <laughs> Must have thought he was the center of the universe or something. You're not like that, though, are you? The man shrugs. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to trespass. I'll, I'll get, <coughs> I'll get going. The farmer furrows his brow. Well, you better pull the damned hose out of your exhaust pipe before you get going. You got shit for brains? You're not dense, are you? Of course, I don't know a lot of smart fellas who try to kill themselves. <laughs> sure, they think they're smart. A lot of them think they're geniuses or something like that. All those artists who blow their brains out. But there ain't nothing smart about that. No, sir. No sense in it. My friend thought he was smart. Thought he was some kind of real genius. Of course, when he shot himself, he missed the real important bits of the brain. Coroner said he was probably bouncing around the house like an injured deer, running into walls with half his brains hanging out. Took him something like two hours to finally give up the ghost. When they found him, I guess there was blood and brain bits all over the place. Looked like the horror movie or something. <laughs> Bad way to go. This way you got here don't seem too great either, sucking down all that smoke. The man in the car shrugs again. Lucidity is returning to his mind. Reality and the ugly consequences of his suicidal escapade come into full, high-definition view. He can't believe what he almost did. Tears burn his eyes. This was all some, uh, some kind of mistake. Let, 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 let me pull the hose out and I'll be, uh, be on my way. Well, now hold on, the farmer says. You, you didn't answer my question. Why, why are you trying to kill yourself? The man in the car coughs. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, I, I should go. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, come on, you can tell me. Sir, the man in the car says, I really, um, uh, I'm not in, the, that's not something you just ask someone. It, it, it's, it's all personal. And the farmer laughs. <laughs> oh, personal. Personal. Well, if it's so damn personal, why'd you have to bring it onto my property? Should have kept it to yourself if it was so personal. Should have hung yourself from your ceiling fan or something, not come out here. The farmer laughs some more and lifts his hat in order to scratch and smooth out his white cobweb hair. Are you, uh, you from the city? The man in the car nods and squeezes his eyes closed. A blistering headache has erupted right above the bridge of his nose a pain so acute and localized he can't keep his eyes open. This is his brain punishing him for depriving it of good oxygen. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm from the city, yeah, the man in the car says, rubbing his eyes with his thumb and forefinger. Well, the farmer says, that right there's enough to make anyone want to kill themselves. The man in the car clears his throat. I, 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 I don't know, he says. I, I don't really w want to talk about it. The farmer laughs. You're a real bizarro kind of person, ain't you? Why would you try to do something you don't want to talk about? Shouldn't that clue you into not doing it in the first place? That's a real weird thing to do, if you ask me. The man in the car is done conversing. The adrenaline buzz and mind fog have left, and he's returned to his usual state of ornery depression. He grunts and opens his car door. The farmer guy straightens up and steps back, putting his weathered hands on his fat waist. Let me, let me get the hose out of the exhaust and, and I'll leave, 
the man says, stepping out of the car. Ooh, the farmer chuckles. You're a real serious feller, huh? The farmer puts on an exaggerated frown. Can't ever smile, can ya? Gotta take things real serious now. Ooh-wee, you are a miserable little child. The man waves the farmer off and walks around to the back of his car, intent on dislodging his suicide contraption and leaving this rural landscape. The farmer follows him around the car like an interested canine. He moves from side to side as he walks, like a stiff doll unable to actuate its knee joints. He watches as the man kneels down and begins to unwrap the duct tape from the exhaust. Now what kind of ugly car is this? The farmer asks. The man pauses his dismantling and sighs. Can, can you please leave me alone? This is a Ford, right? The man nods. Uh, yeah. Now that is an ugly, ugly car, the farmer says. Me, I drive a Ford too, but it's a hell of a truck. That's, uh, that's really cool, the man says, annoyed and indignant. Why, you weasley little son of a bitch, the farmer growls. I'm sorry, my inconvenience in you or something. I'm so sorry. I'll get out of your hair. Yeah, I'll leave you alone. It's not like you just drove onto my property and tried to kill yourself. <laughs> what a miserable ass thing to do. I would have been the sorry sucker who'd have to deal with your rotten corpse, too. Sheesh. What if I came out here five minutes later? What then? I'd have a dead guy to deal with, you pathetic little booger. You don't think about nothing but yourself. And, and that's what got you here in the first place, thinking of only yourself. You, you, you. I'm sorry, the man yells, turning to look up at the farmer, his face red. I'm sorry. This was this was a mistake. I'm trying to leave. I've apologized. I'm 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 in a fragile state, and and and, and I'm asking you, please, please leave me alone. The farmer folds his saggy arms around his chest and runs his tongue along his lower teeth, forcing out his bottom lip. He watches as the man removes the hose from the exhaust pipe and yanks the other end from the back window. Well, if uh. If I leave you alone now, I, how am I supposed to know you ain't gonna just try to kill yourself again? How do I know you ain't gonna uh, drive your car off a cliff or something? The man, now holding the length of hose in his hands, pauses and stares directly at the farmer for the first time. Well, the man says, I guess you won't know, but that's not really your problem, is it? Well, it is now, boy. The farmer yells, now I got you on my conscience. If, if, I, if I read in the paper that some young man put a bullet in his head or jumped off a bridge, I'm going to feel real, real beat up about it. I'm, I'm invested in your life now. The man laughs and shakes his head. Invested? He asks. How are you invested in my life? Well, seeing as I just saved it, I think, I think God has a plan for us. He wanted me to intervene, you see intervene. Hmm, the man says, feigning intrigue. That's a, that's a really interesting theory. I, I think I'm, I'm just going to go now. The man pops the trunk to his Taurus and tosses the hose inside. He stares at it for a second. It looks limp and sickly like a dead reptile. He's eager to hide the instrument that almost caused his own death. Shutting the trunk, he turns, smiles at the farmer in a kind of jerkish, absent-minded way, 
and then makes his way back to the driver's side door. The farmer follows him. Do you have any friends? The farmer asks. What what do you do for a living? The man whips around to face the farmer, presenting a volatile, aggressive side of himself. Yes, yes, I have friends. What kind of question is that? But they ain't real friends, right? They're just like casual friends, the kind of friends you can't poke fun at. I, I, I don't know, the man says, fiddling with his keys. I, I, I have friends, I, I do. What do, you, what do you do for a living? The farmer asks again. The man starts to cry. He sits down in the driver's seat, his legs hanging out of the car, and starts to really sob, hands on his face and everything. It's the kind of crying that makes the farmer feel kind of embarrassed. He doesn't know if he should comfort the man or not. Uh, do you, uh, do you need to go to the hospital or something? The farmer asks. The man lifts his head from his hands and looks at the farmer through glassy eyes. His cheeks are flushed and shiny from smeared tears. Why would I need to go to the hospital? The farmer shrugs and fiddles with some of his jewelry. Well, I, I, I don't know. Ain't, ain't that where guys like you gotta go? Don't you, don't you need to go to the loony bin? I, I mean, the uh, mental, uh, mental hospital so they can strap electrodes on you and, and uh, shock you back to your senses? Uh, no, the man says, flat and sure. He wipes some snot from his nose and clears his throat. No, that's, that's not what I need. I'll be okay. I'll, I'll be okay. Th- thank you. Thanks. Uh, I gotta go. The man brings his legs inside the car and slams the door shut, effectively cutting off communication between him and the farmer. The farmer doesn't move. He watches. The man puts his keys in the ignition and starts the car. The engine stutters to life. The man feels a cold shiver run up his back. Now every time he sits in his car, every time he turns the ignition, Every time he hears the engine come to life, he'll think of the day he tried to suffocate himself. He shakes this thought away and slides the gear shift into reverse. But before he can pull out of the grassy outlet and back onto the road, the farmer knocks on his window. The man frowns, wipes his tear-burned eyes, and rolls down his window just a crack. What? The man asks. I'm, I'm trying to go. The farmer leans in close to the crack in the window, making sure he can be heard. A bashful grin crosses his face. Uh, listen, says the farmer. I, I, I know we ain't friends or, or nothing like that. I know I don't know you from Adam, and, and you got your own life going. But you, uh, you gotta understand, I do believe in, in things like fate and whatnot. I, I do believe in these things. And I, uh, listen... If you ever get feeling this way again, I want you to know that you can call me. You'd be doing me a real favor if you called me up. Yeah. I understand things can get a little rough sometimes. Sure. I think sometimes all a guy really needs is somebody to to talk to about this stuff. Sometimes this stuff is hard to talk about. So, uh, I want you to know you can talk to me anytime, day or night. I ain't working much anymore. I don't got a lot going on. The farmer pats his pockets and pulls out a wrinkled receipt from his back pocket, spreads it out flat on his thigh, pulls a pen from his breast pocket, and scribbles a phone number across it. Here, he says, 
threading the receipt through the crack in the window. This is my number. I got a cell phone on me all the time. All the time. You give me a call. Yeah. You'll, you'll get feeling better. These, uh, these things pass. Trust an old man like me. These things, they, they pass. It all, it all blows away after a time. Carried off like smoke on the wind. It's a hard life, but it's a good one. Oh, okay, the man says, taking the receipt. Thank you. The farmer smiles and nods and steps away from the car, allowing the man to leave completely unimpeded. And so the man does. He steps on the gas and backs away and within seconds is on the road, moving out of the farmer's sight. The man, still depressed, still sick, still hopelessly self-obsessed, drives away now with the crinkled receipt sitting on his lap. He isn't sure if he'll be okay. He isn't positive he won't try something stupid again, but there is something to this receipt. Yeah, there is something there. There is some warmth there, and maybe some goodness, and maybe some hope. To the man, it has less to do with the farmer himself, and more to do with the notion, the action, the kindness displayed. There is love in that receipt, some kind of weird, strangerly love that is not based on anything other than a farmer's love for humanity, his love for a perfect stranger. This will be enough, the man thinks. This will be enough to keep him going somewhere for some time. Yes, this will be enough. Thank you for listening. That was episode 24 of the podcast, titled Somewhere for Some Time. This episode was written, edited, produced, and narrated by myself, with the music being by Kevin McLeod. Thank you all again for listening. Mm-hmm.